Hi, my name is Paul Crandall, and I'm the lead pastor here at Sunrise Church. Our vision is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which means our hope is that you would take one step closer to Jesus after watching this service. Whether that step is from interest to curiosity or from one level of commitment to a deeper level of commitment, whatever that is, we want to respect the pace of your spiritual journey and we want to help in making that next step. In fact, personally, I want to help as well. You can email me after the service at paulc.isunrise.com. That's my personal account and I would love to know how I can help you take one step closer to Jesus. I believe after watching the service, you're going to find that our church is a safe place to hear a life-changing message. So please enjoy the content you're about to view and email us so we know how we can help you take your next step closer to Jesus. so excited about what God is doing here in our church. We love the series we're going through as well. What we're doing is we're going through the writings of Luke. And so Luke wrote two books, which is really a significant portion of the New Testament literature is the Gospel of Luke and then the book of Acts, which is the historical account of the first century Christian movement. And so what we're doing is we're taking different themes and we're kind of tracing them through the writings of Luke. So if you feel like we keep taking these laps of where it's like we go through Luke and then we go through Acts and we jump back and we start at beginning again and we, we just kind of keep taking these laps in these different topics just to see what was Luke's kind of perspective and expression of these ideas. Uh, last uh, series was about women in the writings of Luke and now we're moving to the Holy Spirit in the writings of Luke. And to start this, I want to just, I think, make an observation that many of us are probably very aware of. And that's this, that, that Jesus' advice is pretty good. That was not meant to be a joke. Maybe I said that wrong. But Jesus gives us very practical advice. Like his, his early follow, followers and the teachings that, of his that are captured in the New Testament are pretty good at just making us better people. And in America, following the teachings of Jesus and his earliest followers, most of the time is going to make your life better. You're going to learn how to forgive. You're going to learn how to be empathetic. You're going to learn how to be a better communicator, right? The scriptures talk about when it comes to forgiveness that we need to start with kind of our issues, right? Okay, how did I create this problem? What do I need to do first? I need to clean up my side of the road a little bit before I worry about somebody else's. Man, if we just adopt that, we're going to experience forgiveness more in our lives. Or, or empathy, right? The Bible tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn, right? We want, want to put ourselves in other people's shoes or sandals, right? Whatever, whatever it is. We want to feel what people are feeling and, and give the appropriate response in whatever season of life they're in. If you put that into practice, your relationships are going to be richer. The Bible talks about communication are words. Jesus' brother James wrote a book called James. Surprise on that one, right? And in that book, it talks about our words, that sometimes our words can start a forest fire, can cause a whole mess. And so we should be mindful of our mouths. We should be careful with our words. A lot of practical wisdom from this book right here. A lot of great advice. 
But Jesus wants to do more than give you advice. He wants to rescue you. Like your greatest need is not to live a better life. Your greatest need is to have eternal life. And so what I want to challenge you today to think about is, am I following Jesus as like an advisor or a counselor? Or rather, am I worshiping him as the God of the universe? Because that's what he's asking for. Not just to be like a good teacher, a great advisor, a great counselor, but is he the God of the universe who rightly demands worship? See, it's, it's kind of like the difference between these two, of like Jesus as an advisor or is Jesus as the God of the universe, right? Jesus making my life better versus Jesus saving my life. The difference is kind of like the difference between like flossing and chemotherapy, right? Chemotherapy. Oh, sorry. Flossing will make your life better. If you floss, you'll have better gum health. This is not an advertisement for crests or anything like that. We don't get any sponsors or anything like that, I promise. Okay, my dentist, your dentist actually called me and asked me to do this. It's an intervention, right? Flossing will improve your health, right? It'll allow you not to have broccoli in your teeth on your first date, so that's good. But chemotherapy can save your life. I want you to entertain that kind of dramatic contrast that Jesus is not just wanting to improve your life. He doesn't just want your your attention. He wants your adoration. He wants your worship. He wants your praise. He wants your devotion because he is your savior and your rescuer. In fact, we could summarize it this way. This is the big idea for today. So if you're going to write down one thing, I want you to write this down. The big idea is this. Jesus is not just good. He's God. Jesus is not just good. He's God. Jesus is not okay with being on the same plane as like your wise uncle or your insightful aunt. No. Jesus wants to be Lord of your life. The boss. To be worshipped and to be adored as the God of the universe. And as we study the work of the Holy Spirit in the writings of Luke, we're going to see at the very beginning of Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 1, when the birth story of Jesus is told, the Holy Spirit's going to make clear. We're going to see kind of his involvement in a couple scenes. And what we're going to see is the Holy Spirit will make clear that Jesus is to be worshipped and adored. He's not just a good guy who should be listened to. He's not just a prophet that speaks for God. He is God. Now Luke's going to do this in a very kind of interesting way because he's going to contrast or compare two different birth stories. Jesus and one of Jesus' relatives, John. So let's jump into that account and see the work of the Holy Spirit and how he will show us that Jesus is not just a good guy. Jesus is God. And because he's God, he should be worshipped. And not just listened to, but worshipped. Let me show you this. Luke chapter one. Luke chapter 1. We're going to cover a lot here, but I want you to see the movement of the Spirit and what the Spirit does in the birth story of Jesus. But let's go to his relative who's born first, a man by the name of John. This is Luke chapter 1. I'm going to start with verse 13. So a little history here. There's a couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is struggling with barrenness. She can't have children. So Zechariah and Elizabeth have no children. Their family hasn't been able to, to grow. Yes, they've got cousins and relatives, but they have no kids of their own. And this is a great burden. She's known as a barren 
woman. So it's like publicly known that she probably can't have children, will never have children. And an angel of the Lord comes in to Zechariah and says, Zechariah, I got great news. You're going to have a son. So look at this exchange that Gabriel has with Zechariah. Verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Now, this is important because what we're seeing right now is this John guy is going to be more than a son to a barren woman. right? Yes, they're going to have joy. You will have joy and gladness. But now the ring of gladness and rejoicing will expand from their family to now this term, many. So we're already seeing this baby is different. Not only an answer to their prayers, but probably a larger answer to prayer. And this is what Gabriel, the angel, is going to continue to say to him. So let's pick it up back again. Verse 14. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. Now, we got to stop here. Just momentary pause. Because... This word here is very important for us to understand, especially when we get to the birth of Jesus. That term, Lord, for he will be great before the Lord. That term, Lord, is used 26 times in just chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Luke's gospel. He uses it a ton. It's saturated with that. That term is very important because the covenant name for God in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, was Yahweh. And when the Old Testament was translated into Greek, this was the term they used. And I think we could probably clearly see just from this verse, he will be great before the Lord. It's not talking like Lord, like lords and ladies or something like that. Like a landowner or somebody who's part of a bureaucracy or or the aristocracy. There you go, I said that one right. That's not what it's talking about. Clearly, that word Lord means God. Now that's huge, we'll see that. So just tag that in your mind. 26 times that word is used. And when it's used, it refers to God. That will be very important. All right, but let's just keep going. He's going to be great before the Lord. I'm in verse 14. And you have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Verse 15. For he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Okay. Right now, we're hearing this baby is going to be great. He's going to be great. A couple things said here. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we talked about the Holy Spirit last week and kind of the movement of the Holy Spirit throughout the Scriptures. Then in the storyline of God, really in the Old Testament, so before the birth of Jesus, everything before the birth of Jesus, that's the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Spirit would come upon people, not fill people necessarily, But come upon them for certain works, special works, a season of their life, a moment, if you will. So they could do a significant thing for God. That's not what's going to happen here. John is going to be different. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So already we get a sense this baby is not just a normal baby. Now look when he gets the Holy Spirit. Because this is even more peculiar when it comes to how God gives his spirit to his people. Not only does it say he'll be filled with the spirit, it says even from his mother's 
womb. Now, it's hard to translate that phrase right there and understand what time frame it's talking about. It could either mean from his birth, like once he gets out of the womb, or it could mean when he's in his mother's womb. I think, and we'll see this later, that it actually means from the moment of his conception, when he's in his mother's womb, the Holy Spirit is filling him. Okay, that's crazy. That, that's unprecedented. That's not seen in the Old Testament. Usually when the Holy Spirit would come upon somebody, they'd be an adult. It'd be for a season, a special group of people, for a special work, and it'd be adults. John gets the Spirit in a special way, filled with the Spirit, even from the beginning of his life. Wow. And he's not just going to get a taste of the Spirit. Like a little bit of Spirit here. Look at how else he's described. It says, verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in spirit and the power of Elijah. Now that's important. We've got to know our little Old Testament here. Elijah was a dynamic prophet in the Old Testament. He did miracles. He rebuked people. He spoke on behalf of God. He didn't just give sermons. But he was able to say God's very words are this. So this is a dynamic guy. This comparison that, that, that Gabriel is doing, that Luke is recording for us, it's like, it's like when we say this NBA player, right? maybe he's not gone yet into the draft, and we're like, man, this is the next Michael Jordan, right? Or this is the next LeBron James. We make these comparisons of like the GOAT, right? The greatest of all time. Maybe this is the, the, the person who's going to dethrone Jordan from being the greatest of all time. Right? I know, whoa, whoa, hold on. But think about it. This is kind of what's happening in the Hebrew world. Like you could say Elijah, he's kind of like the goat. Greatest of all time, prophet. And what Gabriel is saying, John, John is going to be like the goat. He's going to be the next prophet of God who's dynamic. Now, we don't have any record of John performing any miracles. We don't have any of those recorded. But we do have some of his sermons. We do have his, some of his teaching. And his teaching was dynamic. It was powerful. And Gabriel talked about that. Go back to your verse. Go back to verse 16 because this is important. It says, He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them in the spirit and the power of Elijah. I'm in verse 17. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. So what is, what is Gabriel saying here? This guy's going to talk and people are going to change. Now that phrase up there that says he's going to turn the hearts of fathers to children, it's hard to know what that means. One way to understand this is like John's going to speak and he's going to, he's going to mend homes. He's going to mend families. He's going to bring one generation to the other generation. That's one way of reading this. I don't think that's what's happening. I think what's actually happening is Gabriel is setting up this kind of this parallelism. If you think of like A, B, and then A, B, I think he's doing that. So what I think he's saying is he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Which means I think what he's saying is the fathers are the disobedient. The children are the wisdom of the just. I know, great thing to say right before Father's Day. Okay, you're welcome that this sermon wasn't preached on Father's Day. Now, I don't think what he's talking about is like specifically biological fathers. Luke does this. He likes to, to portray children in a very positive light. 
And Luke will use the term fathers to talk about the evil ancestry of Israel. He does this in Luke chapter 6. He does it in Luke chapter 11. And what he describes there is your fathers, the ancient leaders of Israel, killed the prophets. Rebelled against God. I think that's what he's talking about. I think what he's talking about is the past sins of our generation. When we were disobedient to the things of God and we ran away from God, this guy, filled with the Holy Spirit from the moment of conception, is going to be a mouthpiece for God even stronger than Elijah was. Because he will speak and he will turn a generation back to the new thing that God is doing in Christ Jesus. This guy's dynamic. Pause here for a moment. Does this guy sound good? Yeah. He sounds like the best. The Holy Spirit is going to be involved in another birth story. And as good as John is portrayed, the way Luke arranges the material, it's like he's setting us up. Like, wow, look how good John is. I mean, filled with the Spirit. He's going to turn people. He's, he, he's going to change people. He's going to speak in a dynamic way. Then he's going to say, but then there's another guy coming. And that guy's even better. And that guy's not just good. He's not a prophet to be listened to. He is God to be worshipped. And we get a little hint of this. Look down at your Bible again or on the screen. The last part of verse 17. Because John's work, as dynamic as it is, is prep work. He's the, he's the comedian before the comedian. Right? If you ever go to a comedy show and you're like, I'm here to see this guy. And you get like five comedians before you get to the one. You're like, I'm not wasting my laughs on you, right? You're just the startup guy. You know, give me the, give me the headliner. This is what he's saying. John is not the headliner. He's not the star of the show. This next one coming is, and we're hinted at that. The last line says he's going to bring the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the, what's that word? Lord, a people prepared. He's preparing the ground for God coming. The Lord coming. Let's jump. Verse 26. This is probably the story that you're more familiar with here. This is the Christmas story. Gabriel, another angel, comes to a girl named Mary, makes an announcement, talks about the activity of the Holy Spirit. And just watch the kind of comparison between John and Jesus. Because great things were said about John. Even greater things will be said about Jesus. Look at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. What do you think Gabriel's talking about when he says the word Lord? God, God's favor is on you. Again, that's very important. I know I keep teasing at this, but just wait. Just wait. But that's important. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. She found favor with the Lord in verse 28. Now that term is said favored with God. Do you see what I'm saying here? Lord is used for God. That's very important. Verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. 
Right here, everything seems just similar, like totally parallel. We got John's birth over here, Jesus' birth over here. An angel come and announces it. Hey, you're going to have a child. You're barren, but you're going to have a child over here. You're a virgin, betrothed. You're going to have a child. It kind of seems similar, right? And then it totally veers off in another direction. And as great as John was portrayed, Jesus is portrayed to be even greater. Verse 32. And he will be great. And he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God. Oh, look it. There it is again. Lord God. I know. You're like, Pastor Paul, why do you keep doing it? It's important. Just wait for it. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how is this to be since I'm a virgin? And the angel said, the Holy Spirit, here we go, the Holy Spirit, will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child born to you will be called Holy, the Son of God. Wow. Jesus just eclipsed John here. We know the Holy Spirit revealed, right? This baby John, man, he's going to be filled with the Spirit. It's going to be great. The activity of the Spirit with Jesus is totally different. You're going to be conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? We don't even need a dad, right? No, no uh, involvement with an earthly father. But you are going to have a child. That's different. This child is not compared to a prophet. He's called a king. A king in the line of David. A king who will sit on a throne forever. That seems like a long term, doesn't it? I mean, some of our presidents sit on, I don't know, the American throne for eight years or whatever. And we're like, oh, man. Some of them are like four years. And we're like, oh, some like two years. Oh, right? How about a forever term? Doesn't that sound like a little bit more than what a human being can do? But this, this baby is called the son of the most high. He's called the son of God. Now, these terms right here. They're going to be filled out. The further we get into Luke's gospel, the further we get into the book of Acts, the further we get into the, the, the letters of the New Testament, we start to really understand Son of the Most High, Son of God, forever King. That's God. That's God in the flesh. Jesus way eclipses, right? John fulfilled the prophecy of Malachi, the Old Testament prophet, that he would prepare the way of the Lord and he would speak with the spirit of Elijah. Awesome. Jesus, on the other hand, fulfills the prophecy of 2 Samuel chapter 7, where David was told, you will have an heir that will sit on your throne forever. He fulfilled the vision of Daniel chapter 7, when one like the Son of Man comes in this vision that Daniel has, and it says that God gives the one like the Son of Man power and authority to rule forever. Jesus way out eclipses that good prophet, John. And because he eclipses John, he should be worshipped. And that's exactly what happens. It's exactly what happens the next time we see the Holy Spirit's activity in the birth story. So Mary hears that Elizabeth is pregnant. She decides, I'm going to go visit her. Now we need a little bit of time frame here. Because six months is when Mary gets the news. So six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy, Mary gets the news. Then she travels. So we know... That at the time of their interaction, baby Jesus in the womb is probably like two months old. 
approximately. And John is probably like seven or eight months old in the womb. That's very important for what's going to happen. All right, jump. I want you to jump down to verse 30, 39. That's what I said. Verse 39. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Hi, Elizabeth. I got the, like, the Hamilton song, Angelica, Eliza, Scott. Okay, nobody likes musicals here. That's fine. That's fine. Whatever. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. What is going on there? Leaped in her womb. Elizabeth was, here he is, here's the Holy Spirit, was filled with the Holy Spirit. She exclaimed with a loud cry. No, she's not going into labor. Right? She's not going into labor. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Baby is leaping. And it says, she said this. Blessed are you among women. She's speaking to Mary. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me? That the mother of my... What's the word? Lord. What? That the mother of my Lord. What on earth could she be meaning there? 25 other times. In Luke 1 and Luke 2. The term Lord is used. Those 25 times it is clearly referring to God. What is she doing here? I think Elizabeth may be the first. Second to Mary and maybe Joseph. That worship Jesus as God. Now, I don't think she fully understands what's going on. I don't. And we'll see as the gospel unfolds that, of course, the knowledge of what that means, Jesus being Lord, the Son of the Most High, the Son of God, the Davidic King to sit on a throne forever. Like these ideas have got to be filled out. I think Mary, because she's filled with the Spirit, is actually speaking beyond what she already knows. This is going to grow and this is going to fill. But what happens? She worships unborn Jesus and calls him Lord. Now think about that. Right? As parents, we are naturally, naturally biased to our kids. Aren't we? Like we play favoritism. Right? We do. You go to like a t-ball game. Right? They're down by a bunch of points. And you're like, why isn't the coach put my boy in? My boy, he'll hit him over the mountain. Right? We say all that kind of stuff. And that's the mom talking. <laughs> right? <laughs> hit it over the mountain. <laughs> Get him, Billy. Right? Like that kind of like dynamic. I, she became a smoker all of a sudden. I'm sorry. Right? That's what happens when the illustrations just take over themselves. But we have this natural bias that we like, we believe in our kids beyond us. Right? We do. And the reason is because... We couldn't hit it out the park when we were kids. We never made it to state or playoffs, so we project all that insecurity on them. But we have in church today, right? You know it, right? Because you see those parents involved on the t-ball field, and they're yelling, come on, Johnny, run! And Johnny just wants a snow cone at the end of the game. He doesn't even care about stealing second. He doesn't care. Let it go. He just wants pineapple snow cone at the end of the game. That's what he wants. So it's natural for us to have favoritism, Right? Think of Elizabeth. She has waited for so long to have a child. An angel comes and makes an announcement. Like she doesn't like read the little stick and be like one line, two line. No, no, no. An angel comes and says two lines, you're having a boy. By the way, he's going to be an awesome prophet of God. 
That's pretty dynamic. But then Mary comes, her relative. Her baby's maybe two months old. She hears, Elizabeth, it's Mary. Angelica. Okay. She hears it, and immediately the baby jumps. And she says, wow, that's my Lord. Wow. She favors that child. She shows attention to that child and says, that child, that's my Lord. Yes, my baby's going to be great. That baby, that baby is my Lord. That's pretty dynamic. Now, let's take a pause here for a moment. Just a little side note, because I think this is important for us to understand when we're walking through this part of the scriptures. Is Notice the insight we get about a biblical worldview of unborn life. I think this passage does speak to and speak into the pro-choice, pro-life kind of abortion conversation. Because notice what's happening here. The baby leaps. That baby is probably about seven, eight months old. But it leaps when it's in proximity to the unborn Jesus, who's probably two months old. And then Elizabeth says of that unborn baby, that's my Lord. That's a really weird thing to say if that is not life. Right? Do you ever like look at the chair and be like, like... My Lord, right? Or like, or like go to a tree. My Lord. Well, I mean, we're in Oregon. <laughs> so maybe. But I mean, just notice it. It's, it's really strange language to, to worship something that's not life. And to call it Lord. That seems like a term that's only reserved for a living being. Right? Okay, check this out too, because this is also important. Because through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not only does she exclaim Jesus as Lord, but she's able to interpret the leap in her womb. Look at verse 42. She exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, Elizabeth... The baby in my womb leaped for joy. Not Mary, Elizabeth did not say, I was joyful. She didn't say that. What'd she say? That leap was a leap of joy. And who had the joy? The baby did. Now that's interesting. So this unborn life has joy. What has joy? Do we look at a tree, right, or a chair and say, it's filled with joy, right? Are you ever like, ooh, my kidney is filled with joy. <laughs> no, that's a kidney stone. You need to go to the doctors. <laughs> that sounds like life, doesn't it? So we have, this very interesting that the biblical worldview of unborn life is that unborn life in this context can be referred to with a term like Lord, that sounds like consciousness, that sounds like being, that sounds like personhood. And on the other end, when, when unborn Jesus gets in proximity with 
unborn John, they like Bluetooth or something. I don't know how it works. Airdrop their location to each other. I don't know how that works. But that baby, that baby worships, leaps for joy. See, this is, this is I think, we insert this idea into the, the, the pro-choice, pro-life, right, that, that argument that it seems very clearly that the scriptures speak of unborn life as life. As personhood. Now, now think about this for a moment. If that's, if that's true, if what the scriptures say are clear and accurate, then that life is not something that we own. Right? That's the logic of slavery. The logic of slavery, especially in the transatlantic slave industry that is in our American history, said that person of that color, I can own. I can own that life and dispose of it as property. Life is my property. Now, I think we would, with a resounding and very morally correct appraisal of that, condemn that kind of ideology. That life cannot be owned. That life is not property. That life is to be respected with dignity and priority to keep safe. So if unborn life can leap with joy can be called Lord, that's life, which means that cannot be owned. It can be cared for. It can be nourished. Well, sorry, let me change those. It should be cared for, and it should be nourished, because we don't own it. Therefore, we can't dispose of it. So, like, the logic seems to be changing. Like, our our, our, um, angst towards slavery that diminishes a life to property All I think we've done is changed the target from the color of skin to the stage of development. Well, you're just smaller, right? You're not as developed as me. Therefore, I can own you and I can dispose of you. You are property to me. I don't think the scripture allows for that at all, right? So let's get back. Let's get back, so kind of unpause. Get back into the storyline. We have Elizabeth and we have John who worship the unborn Jesus. Like, it's, what's crazy about this is like, John is already doing his job in the womb. Like, talk about child labor. Like, that seems a little weird, right? Like, he is the prophet meant to prepare the way of the Lord. Like, he's the setup guy for Jesus' coming. The king who would sit on the throne forever in the line of David, called the son of the most high God, called the son of God. And he, even before he's born, he's already punching the clock, right? He's already doing his prophetic office. He's already being the forerunner. He's already announcing the coming of King Jesus. He already worships him. Elizabeth, John's mom, same thing, adores Jesus. So here's my, here's my question to you. Are you adoring Jesus? Not just following Jesus. And I, and I use the term follow, not like Jesus uses in the Gospels, because Jesus loves that term, come follow me. But I think for us, in our modern vernacular, we use follow like, like how we are connected to Instagram influencers. Right? Like, oh, I follow this, this girl on Instagram who makes wonderful muffins with lentils. Whoa. Right? <laughs> Gross. 
Right? But like, like, right? like that kind of following is like, ooh, I saw your recipe. Cool. Now I'm going to force this on my children. Right? Or whatever. Because they need lentils in their life. Whatever, whatever the dynamic is. Right? So we, we, we follow, in a sense, that influencer. And then we try their recipe. But that influencer doesn't dictate what goes in your fridge. Like you haven't surrendered that much of your life to their, their influence. I think we use follow language very similarly when we're talking about Jesus. Like we say, oh, I follow Jesus when I agree kind of with his advice. Or I'm, in, I'm intrigued with his perspective. But we're treating Jesus like, like this wise counselor or this therapist or this advisor. Like Jesus is just one of those that we kind of call up. We're like, hey, dad, I need advice on how to do this. That's not the line where Jesus wants to be. No. Jesus doesn't want to be on this kind of level. He wants, he wants to be up here. Not, not listen to Jesus' advice, but obey his commands. Here's how you know the difference. Right? I think a lot, and I think it's part of our history in America, because we have very much a, a Judeo-Christian values that, let, that kind of run the stream of American history. And so I think there's a lot of following of Jesus, if we think about it like Instagram following, that really is more like being in traffic. Than like caravanning. Like when you're in traffic, is there a car in front of you? Yes. Are you going in the same direction? Yes. You're in traffic. But you're caravanning when like the car in front of you hits the turn signal, gets off the freeway. Then what do you do? You get off the freeway. So I think this is kind of what happens in, in some American Christianity is that is like, yeah, Jesus looks like he's in front of us. Oh, I practice his way of forgiveness. I practice his way of empathy. I practice his ideas on communication. I follow Jesus' advice. But what happens when you read this book and it disagrees with you? Or you don't like it? And you're like, that's never happened. Because you're not reading it. <laughs> give it a week. Literally. Give it maybe a day. And you're like, I don't really like that. But, but is that book, in, are you in traffic? Like, well, I just like kind of the inherited moral values and, and kind of ethical worldview that the scriptures have given me. But the moment you get to something you don't like, the question is, the, it put its blinker on and it's veering off and you're like, I don't like that one. We're going to keep going this way. Oh, oh, look, now it's kind of in front of me again. We're lined up. I'm, I'm following Jesus. Oh, the blinker's on again. I don't like that. Okay, it's veering off. I'm going to keep going this way. If you only follow Jesus when you agree with him, then you're worshiping yourself and not him. Amen. You know you're worshiping Jesus when you follow him, when you disagree with him. When you follow him, when you don't like it. When you follow him, when you wouldn't write that command that way. You wouldn't write that principle that way. Right? That, that's the difference between advice and authority. Right? You follow advice when you agree with it. When your therapist like, you should do this. You're like, yeah, I agree with that. I'll try it. Oh, that's insightful. I'll try that. And sometimes we do that with Jesus. Oh, I never thought about that way. Jesus, you know, I kind of like that. I'm going to follow that. That's advice. Authority is, whether you agree or not, this is what you must do. That's what Jesus invites you into. That's what he offers you. And you have to trust at the gap of your agreement with his commands it's not because he's wrong. It's because you don't know best. And he knows best. 
And if you trust in him, you'll flourish. Man, you'll prosper. You'll find that the designer actually knows how this thing works. And he can give you what is pleasing, what is bountifully joyful. At his thrones, as the scriptures say, are pleasures evermore. But you got to trust him because there are times when it looks like, I don't like that. I know. I get it. But follow it. Why? Because he's king. So my question for you is, are you, are you following Jesus or are you worshiping Jesus? Is he a good advisor to you or is he God to you? We talked about this as a pastoral team of like, what do we do in response to this? As we've unpacked how the spirit moved in the birth of Jesus and John in, in, in Luke chapter 1. And how clearly Elizabeth and the unborn John worshipped Jesus as something greater than just, just a good prophet. And so that's why you may have realized, like, well, Paul, you kind of got up here a little bit early. is because we decided we wanted to do one song of worship. And then we wanted to add another song at the end. We really wanted this to be an Elizabeth-type response. May you be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in being filled with the Holy Spirit, may God reveal to you the brilliance and beauty and divinity of his son, Jesus Christ. And may you worship him and say, my Lord, that is my Lord. So I invite you, I'm going to pray, we're going to have communion out here. Band's going to come back on and we are going to sing songs centered on Jesus. And I'd love to hear the volume of Elizabeth. It says, with a loud cry, she said. My Lord. Let's have an Elizabeth response. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are to us in Jesus Christ. Christ, we thank you. We thank you that you are brilliant and beautiful, glorious and divine. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fill our hearts, that you'd reveal to us the greatness of who Christ is, the beauty of who Christ is, the divinity of Christ. May, may our view of you, Christ, in this moment be elevated. Not because the songs were picked correctly or the notes were played right or the voices were beautiful. But because, Holy Spirit, you came in and did something. I mean, just as, as random and obscure is the worship of a woman to the, to the belly of a relative. To not even see the child. But to know at two months, that's my Lord in there. Wow. And Holy Spirit, you got to come and do that. We can't generate it that. We can't fabricate that. We can't orchestrate that. We can't plan that. But you can do that. You can author that. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do that. That you would just take over this, this, this time of worship. And then in our hearts and everybody in the room, it would be revealed to them the exalted Jesus Christ, the one who sits on David's throne, who is the king forever and ever. The son of the most high God. The son of God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.